Hey everybody, this is Nate. Before we start today's episode, I just want to apologize for my poor microphone quality. We record using Zoom and sometimes my microphone interface and Zoom do not get along. However, this is a great episode filled with early music memories for me and Bob that you will not want to miss. So I thank you. And now, on to the show. Welcome everybody to the Boys in the 90s podcast. My name is Nate. And I'm Bob. And Bob, today I'm going to spare you one of the older commercials that we don't necessarily have any video for just yet. We're not a video podcast. But um, today we're doing a little bit something different. And we noticed how much we enjoy talking about music and talking about the good old days. And that's the whole reason why we have this podcast. And going through my memory banks, I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of old tracks that just sort of pop out of nowhere and we might make a series out of this we might make this a one-off who knows it's kind of like the guilty pleasures episode i just asked bob if you could come up with around 10 songs that you could kind of bounce back and forth between you and i and we could just talk about some of the good old days some of the first tracks that made impacts on you listeners you can kind of get a feel about who we are through these tracks like what interests we might have because we were drawn to these bands back in the day but if you want to go ahead and throw one out there i'd love to just talk about what's on your brain well i was telling nate a little inside baseball before the show when i when i come up with a playlist i think of it as like a mixtape you want to create a vibe you want to come out of the gate with some bangers as the kids say right you got to get the attention going totally so and I'll be honest, it was really hard for me to pare this down to 10, so we might go over 10. So out of the gate, I want to lead off something strong, something that made a huge impact on me as, as a wee lad of, oh God, what, 12, 13 when I got this? Coming out straight from 1994, my leadoff track for my list is Mr. Self-Destruct oh, wow. by, Nine, by Nine Inch Nails. And this this made a huge impact on me so much that I'm still listening to it almost 30 years later. And I'm I'm two weeks post seeing them out in Las Vegas. It's a great show, by the way. Um, maybe some of you listeners live in areas where they hit. They played just a random mishmash of shows this year in random places. And since I don't like festivals, I wasn't driving to L.A. to see them play a festival. So me and Mrs. Bob jumped in the family truckster and spent 24 hours in Sin City itself and went to see Nine Inch Nails and had the best barbecue in my life. But that's a different story. Nice. So yeah, uh, out of the gate, I'm leading with Mr. Self-Destruct. I, I love this song. And and as as a as a teen, the second bought the album off of just either hearing Closer or it was just their new album because I'm pretty sure both of us already had Pretty Hate Machine at that point and Broken. And then, I mean, you put it on and it just starts with that sample from THX 1138. You're like, where's this going? And then it just hits you square in the face. Uh, it's loud. It's abrasive. It gets your attention. And as a 13-year-old, that's all I needed. So that was my lead off just to just to grab the attention and, and get it going with a bang. 
Yes, totally. I I loved everything about that whole album. The Downward Spiral is probably one of my favorite albums ever. And um, I don't know if it's just because maybe it's like a nostalgic thing. Well, like where, you know, kids grew up on going out to Led Zeppelin and hanging out in their van and rocking out in a quadraphonic. My version of a quadraphonic was listening with headphones to the Downward Spiral over and over again. Really fun to listen to. So I'd totally back that up. And I would dare say... After subjecting my nine-year-old to having to listen to March of the Pigs, there's nothing that sounds like it to this day. There's nothing as layered, as textured, as, I mean, for lack of a better word, unpleasant to listen to. But that's the thing about Trent Reznor is he can make noise, but there's a melody underneath it, which makes it tolerable. It's not noise for noise sake. It's not, you know, metal machine music by Lou Reed. There's a melody underneath and it's impactful in that way. I it, that takes me to actually my I, not not to jump into my picks, but I'll go ahead and say what pick I have for Nine Inch Nails that made a huge impact on me was, you know, a lot of us grew up with MTV, um, and you know, if, even if we didn't have MTV, somehow, somewhere like on ninety one X back in San Diego, they would play Head Like a Hole. They would play Down in It. Ninety one X. Yeah, exactly. Some of the some of the bigger songs that you've ever heard and you know, you have Head Like a Hole, which is like a constant screamer. It's a great rock song that goes completely all out there from the get go. Then you have kind of like the bouncy down in it. It's sort of screamy, but not not even screamy, just sort of like almost poppy. And rappy. Poppy and rappy and just not kind of an odd track down in it is. But then one night as I'm listening to ninety one X like you know, just laying there listening to it on as a teen, I I heard the most impactful one for me that that made Nine Inch Nails something to me was something I could never have. And to me, it's like the the epitome of self loathing of the time. Like it was it was perfect for you know going through your your teenage angst and. You know, you just didn't know what it was that you didn't have, but you had to have it. And it just felt like out of your reach. So it was odd because it was accessible on the radio. And yet they would play, you know, just such a a dour song back in the day. And they played it unedited of all things. So I was pretty, pretty interested by that. (laughs) Left left that F-bomb in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it didn't really sell it to me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't too taken just because, you know, they said, they said the naughty words that like I had to go and, and get it, but it did it kind of provide like a different layer of nine snails that I didn't quite get through head like a hole or down in it. So that was interesting that that band could do that for me. And that's when I picked up on the downward spiral and went from there. So yeah, Mr. Self-Destruct something I can never have two of the bigger, bigger ones you could probably come across. And for anybody that's listening, that might be, you know, under the age of 30 or 20, if you're looking for something that's pretty hate machine light that you might've heard is check out the Olivia Rodrigo sour album. (laughs) She's, she's got a bit of, of teen angsty, pretty hate machine, broken heart. You know, my, my girls just do a lot of Olivia Rodrigo. And the more I had to listen to it, I'm like, this is like Pretty Hate Machine, just a girl singing. You right. know, it's all broken hearty and I'm sad because I liked you. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to, as I was listening to something I could never have, it, it just, it sounds so much like diary passages. Like, 
for some it might be considered kind of cringe inducing because it's like like i don't want to listen to your sad boy you know kind of like <laughs> you know you're 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 not quite poetic um, no i don't know take on how much you wish life was better for you but at the time i think it worked out great because we were teenagers and that's kind of the way the world felt like it just felt like not quite complete but yet somewhat hopeful so who knows you know maybe it works maybe it doesn't right and and as as the teen angst grew it's like you know i remember mentioning it on our guilty pleasure episode when i would listen to something i could never have it's like you, you feel the broken heartness, but I'm 13 and I've never had a girlfriend and mm-hmm. never had any of that sort of experience in life, but I feel it and I'm, I'm living in it and I'm swimming in it. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. This is, this is what completes me. And thus the, the limp biscuit, the night nails kind of tie in together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it all, it all ties together. Yeah. It all ties together. I kind of uh, jumped on yours. Did you have another one that you wanted to follow that up with? So, <clears throat> Just so this doesn't turn into a eight hour diatribe. Right. Because it could happen. I'm gonna go with my next three tracks because they, it's a one, two, three punch of grunge and slacker rock. And so we've got the energy coming from Mr. Self Destruct. We launch into Plush by Stone Temple Pilots. And then we hit a slight left turn and we go to the slacker rock of Feel the Pain by Dinosaur Jr. Hmm. And then we go a little bit more off kilter, still with our slacker rock. We've got failure and their cover of Enjoy the Silence. Mm, nice. So I try I try to do like this trifecta of like grunge, slacker rock, because I like grunge. And for some reason, slacker rock always spoke to me. <laughs> um, plush is just, I love plush. Um, I didn't listen to it for a long, long, long time. And then when I was putting together a, a playlist for you know, work or when I was out door dashing and I, you know, something where you don't want to constantly skip or something. And I made this monster playlist called Alternative Summer. And it was all just 90s alt rock stuff. And I put like half of the core album on there and Plush comes on and I'm like, damn, this is a good song. Just It's got that real simple riff. Uh, it's got, it's got hooks. It's got the chorus. Um, and found a new appreciation for it still don't understand what the song's about uh, i guess that could be said for quite a few stone Temple pilot songs um, and then to follow that up with some dinosaur jr uh dinosaur jr got on my radar through their cover of just like heaven which isn't bad hmm. And then I listened to a little more and I heard feel the pain. And I, I remember seeing the video on MTV and it's, it's real simple, but it's just got that. And it, like a, it's got a nice baseline. You can kind of follow. Yeah. That riff was everywhere. Yeah. And then it like jumps into like the chorus. It's almost the reverse loud, quiet. It's quiet, loud kind of like the Pixies, but not. And I just, I really dig the song. And then going into Failure, I don't know a lot of Failure, but when I picked up the, it's an all covers album, it's the For the Masses, Depeche Mode tribute album, which features one of the worst Cure songs ever, which is their cover of World in My Eyes, and the Pumpkins cover of Never Let Me Down, which strips all the the weight out of it. 
this song jumps out because I don't particularly care for Violator. I love Depeche Mode. I don't particularly care for Violator. I like Enjoy the Silence, but it's one of those overplayed songs. And this one, I think, adds some punch because it's got grungy guitars and it's got this fat sounding live drum kit to it. I, I fell in love with it the second I heard it. It's got that 90s rock sound to it. So that's my that's my next three that we're just we're just hitting it with all of our grunge and slacker rock. I, I'm kind of surprised that like you brought Dinosaur Jr. into the mix because it, it to me, I, I wanted to get into Dinosaur Jr. more, but Feel the Pain was like the most I ever got really out of them. I've always heard like about the mystique of Jay Mascus and how he's like kind of like this weird curmudgeonly hermetic guy that just like kind (laughs) of crawls out from the mountain every once in a while, but he makes a lot of great, a lot of great music, but I just like, I never really got in touch with the rest of it. And I kind of wish I did. I have a lot of it on my computer, but I just don't really return to it. Right. It was close for me between, I really like feel the pain and this other song they do called freak scene. Yeah. There were no for that one too. That's that's a good track, yeah. but I think Feel the Pain's just better. Hmm. And then for uh, for Failure, I actually, uh, I love their song called Stuck on You. And it was like a really high-pitched kind of sound, like guitar sound, really memorable uh, riffage and stuff like that. But And they had like a really cool video for it too. It was kind of like a James Bond kind of, you know, title sequence looking thing. So it was pretty fun. And then a perfect circle went on to record um, the nurse who loved me, which is like a track that that's an awesome cover. Yeah. And it's interesting because they, I mean, if you listen to the original, it's, it's, it's somewhat close, but because I think the guitarist worked on, I forgot his name. His last name's like Lewin, but he worked on the perfect circle album with them. So I think that could have been why they covered the nurse who loved me, but it's an interesting track. But yeah, that that whole album actually is pretty good. The Fantastic Planet album by Failure. And um, I love freaking Stone Double Pilots like crazy. We talked about that last time in the the Guilty Pleasures. Yeah, Plush is definitely this uh, standout track of the 90s. It was all in everything. It was on MTV every time you turned it on, it felt like. Gotta get that buzz bin. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, nice. Get the buzz bin, get the um, Alternative Nation in there. Super rock. Yeah, super rock, of course. 120 minutes. Definitely. So yeah, great picks. I I agree with you totally. So my second one is going to be kind of odd. And that is because one of the first cassettes that I was allowed to buy on my own, I really wanted to buy Vanilla Ice. <laughs> I really, really did. And he was such, it was one of those things when you're a kid, you're like, I don't know who to listen to. This guy seems pretty fun. And, you know, he likes, likes gelling his hair real, real crazy and, <laughs> and like makes... Makes a lot of weird fashion choices, and I think they're kind of fun. But my my parents, of all things, did not want me to purchase Vanilla Ice. Wow. <laughs> they 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 approved of me buying MC Hammer, however. Oh. And in 1990, um, MC Hammer came out with, of course, you know, you can't touch this. His big breakout single and all this for uh, please Hammer don't hurt him. <laughs> And and I don't know what it was about the but the times, but he was like this quasi like family friendly, uh, kid friendly sort of artist. I, I don't know exactly what he was going for, but very like kind of on the level, very light, um, playful. I don't know demeanor. 
he's kind of like what what Will Smith turned into, or like he took he took the safety of like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, right, and just amped it up. Exactly. It's like instead of I mean he came from Oakland, but instead of like telling a lot of those gritty Oakland stories, it was more about just like hey let's dance around in like giant parachute pants and you know to like have a flashy flashy video left and right you know. So it is to my surprise that like I was I was listening to this album as we like drove cross country from California to Ohio one time, and all of a sudden it go it goes to like this really kind of dark, uh, almost easy E ish sort of beat. And the song called Crime Stories is on there that, like, features gun shooting, uh, ladies screaming. Like, there's a lot of, like, crazy, almost, I don't know, like, gangster rap sort of influenced, you know, material on there. And it actually it, it actually was sort of like a pre-gangster rap sort of track. If, it, if you know, I, I forget when NWA came out or Easy A. Oh, that's 86, 87. Okay, so it was kind of like riding on the... On the yeah. on the thought well, of telling about your real life story type thing, yeah. And this is before because if you remember MC Hammer, okay. So you do the please hammer, don't hurt him. Then he drops the MC. He just becomes Hammer. Then he does the I'm going to go ahead and do the hand motions here. Too legit, <laughs> too legit to quit. Yeah. And then so then he becomes Hammer, and then falls out of popularity. I think probably because of the Adams Family song. Mm-hmm. And then reinvents as Hammer, and he's got a little more edge to him, but it, he still wasn't he wasn't on the level of an ECE, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I mean, he was rapping on bike shorts. I mean, you can't really do right. <laughs> you can't do too much with that. And there's only so many uh, requests to get butt, get butt, get butt. Like, you know, I don't even understand what he's talking about. <laughs> it, could, it could be sexual. It could be, like, completely, like, I don't know, some kind of new slang that nobody's really talking about yet. Like, no cap. But, yeah, so Crime Stories is, like, one of those impactful tracks that it's a left-field track. Like, probably no one's ever, ever heard of it, and it's something to YouTube. But it's one of those that just made an impact on me because it kind of brought more of a gritty side into the the playful rap of MC Hammer. Is this on the Please Hammer Don't Hurt Up album? Yeah. Okay, then you can tell how far into the album I ever got because I don't know this song. Yeah. And I was all about, well, you can't touch this because who wasn't? And then you had... <laughs> You had Prey, yeah. which, you know, you can't touch the samples from uh, Super Freak by Rick James, and then Prey samples When Doves Cry by Prince. Yeah. yeah. So I knew Prey and You Can't Touch This, and that's kind of the farthest I ever got with that tape. He, uh, There's another song called, um, I don't have the track list in front of me, it's it's something like uh, Let the Children, something. It's something like Let the Children breathe or pray i don't know live it's it's something about like you know, like i don't know pro children letting them you know have a childhood type thing and oh. i think the i think the the chorus has something to do like mercy me like mercy mercy me okay. like that song like so he took a lot of like songs basically and just t- made them his own at, you know after yeah. all these years you kind of makes makes sense like okay this guy's just like really good at sampling or i don't know <laughs> or someone he worked with was really good at yeah. sampling Oh, MC Hammer. Oof. Yeah, I had to, get right. the, had to get that out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. Yeah, right. All right, so I'll I'll bring up, I'm going to go, 
I don't know if I want to do a trifecta, but we're going to bring we're going to bring the energy down a little bit. You know, everybody's just going to chill out in their seats for a second. And the next two tracks, a little more mellow. And we're coming, we're coming from failure. We're going, we're bringing the energy down a little bit and we're going to safe from harm by massive attack. Mm. Now I originally got into massive attack through 1998's mezzanine and, you know, it's got the song everybody knows, but they don't know who it's by, which is Teardrop. It was used for the intro for the show House. It's sung by Elizabeth Frazier from the Cocktoo Twins and Miss Mortal Coil. Uh, my opinion is she could probably sing the phone book and it would sound good. So I really like Mezzanine, but then I branched out and got Protection. Anyway, Safe From Harm is the, is the lead-off track from their first album. And it's got everything that makes Massive Attack great. And for someone who doesn't typically like a lot of electronic or dancey or anything like that, I, I really enjoy Trip Hop, I believe as the kids called it back then. And I like the beats that they use. I like the production. I like that they have these beats and these drum loops and everything, and they've got a really good female singer's voice to it. And Save From Harm, I just think, is a, is a really good track. I didn't want to pick Teardrop because it's such a gimme. And I know I'm picking popular songs here by, by groups, but Teardrop's just kind of a gimme. And I don't think Teardrop really shows a lot of what makes Massive Attack great. Because if you listen to Save From Harm, it's a good lead-off. It leads off the album. It's, mm-hmm. it, get, it gets you from the beginning. So that's just my little blurb on Massive Attack. If you've never listened to Massive Attack, I highly recommend them. Their, their first three albums are awesome so while we're while we're still staying mellow we're getting out of electronic we're going to go to a little acoustic we're going to go with a little touchy feely we're going to have some feelings and i picked wonderful by adam ant i remember hearing the song as a kid probably on vh1 because that's where they played the older people's music back when the videos got were hosted by rosie o'donnell i don't even know if, do you remember that is well now the VH1, like Rosie O'Donnell hosted a video show on VH1. And like VH1 was like the modern adult contemporary, like lots of Wilson Phillips. I mean, I remember VH1 being that that kind of uh, station. Like it was all like adult contemporary TLC, a little bit of. Right. uh, Michael Bolton, little Kenny G. (laughs) So I first heard the song on, I'm pretty sure VH1, maybe 91X. I just have to say it like that. Yeah. Um, my initial exposure to Adam Ant, other than my older cousins, who I'm sure listen to Adam Ant, because he's, I mean, in the 80s, he was pretty popular and is not a bad looking guy, was Goody Two Shoes, which is mm-hmm. uh, his first solo album after Adam and the Ants broke up. But Wonderful is is a little bit change of pace, I think. You know, it's it's acoustic, it's mostly acoustic. It's very heartfelt. And as as a youth, I like I like a good well, I still like a good love song, I guess. And I don't like super poppy love songs or or ones that are, I guess, happy. But this is a little sad, a little blue. I mean, it's a real change of pace for Adam and if you listen to his early material, there's no there's no bondi drums in it no nothing it's just a straight kind of you know adult contemporary rock song i guess but it doesn't suck 
and it doesn't sound super generic like a Bolton or I guess what else like a like a Nickelback would. Um, so those are my two kind of bringing the energy. You know, we're selling down in our seats. We got a long show ahead of us, so just chill out and watch the lights. Yeah, nice. I mean, I totally back up everything about that you said about Massive Attack. I was about the same. I don't know where I picked up on uh, Massive Attack, but I'm pretty sure it was either through you or somewhere. But yeah, I mean, Mezzanine was was a, a banger, <laughs> as the kids say. <laughs> and um, and yeah, Blue Lines is the one that you were probably thinking in your head because it it doesn't have anything yeah. blue about the album cover, but it's 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 a great album in itself um yeah safe from harm definitely i mean I, I could i could keep listening off all these different ones that I, I was really into um of course the tricky was in the band um who i went i went and saw live just because i mean he's just such an odd mystical guy that even sang like the entire album backwards so <laughs> he's he's one of those one of those guys that just has to do everything <laughs> different and then, yeah, totally about the Adamant. Uh, it reminds me, actually, of like the first time Morrissey went, went and did his own thing. Yeah, a little bit. The more you ignore me, that the closer I get that song. He doesn't have that pompous attitude of Morrissey, though. Right, but like I, I didn't get that whenever I first heard Morrissey either. Like try and be witty. Yeah, and it had like a. Um, it wasn't overly witty, like when he was in the Smiths. There was no like super references or anything to like stuff we didn't understand at the time. And and I don't know, it it, it just it made me think of that for some reason, like when it first came out. But yeah, those are excellent. Um, I'm going to go with one of the first bands that really got me into like loud and crazy music. And of course, everybody in the 90s has never heard of the band Nirvana, but... Uh, <laughs> just a little local band from Aberdeen. Yeah, a little local band, never really went anywhere. Could have gone somewhere, Little little band called Nirvana. Um but uh, this this model esque rocker guy named uh, Kurt Cobain um, just happened to come out of nowhere and and blow the lid off of like the entire hair metal scene and everything in the in the eighties, of course. Uh, I don't know why that's attributed to only them, but you know it, it helped out a lot with um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, of course. And then everybody else, you know, if you were raised on MTV like I was, well, you know, I, I always say that, but I was never allowed to watch MTV until a certain age. But I was going to say, I, I'm the only person I actually know that probably had MTV as a babysitter. Right, yeah. I, I would kind of sneak it here and there and basically just kind of catch up, but nothing like a little MTV grind in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> with, Eric, with Eric Neese. Exactly. And uh, what's her name? Um Downtown Julie Brown? Yes, Downtown Julie Brown. That's what I'm thinking of. Wubba, um, wubba, wubba. <laughs> so, and nothing like a bunch of, like, spandex with, like, a lot of, like, you know, tight shots on uh, on some weird dudes in the in the back. But, um, <laughs> anyways, so to to contrast that in the 90s, you had, like, bands like Nirvana that came out of nowhere that smells like Teen Spirit. And Come As You Are and Lithium were also huge tracks that got a lot of airplay. But it wasn't until I picked up the cassette and like like age twelve or so that I actually enjoyed. Um, my next pick was going to be Territorial Pissings, <laughs> and the the With reason I cut. the reason I chose this was you know I mean it is a rarity of a little bit of deep cut but and it's but it's a great opener side B of the of the cassette if you have the cassette. It is two and a half minutes of insane awesome energy that just comes out of nowhere and. If you've ever been questioning what 
Dave Grohl contributed to Nirvana at the time. You really have to listen to his drumming, which is just absolutely insane. But the energy doesn't ever stop. like pegs it at you know like <laughs> seven thousand eight thousand rpm the entire time and you just and you can't you know right it, i don't know just it, it can't be overlooked but it was the first example of kurt really letting loose and that's what i really love too about it because it smells like teen spirit was fun and he was like kind of a crazy you know guy in the video but it just sounded like his voice was you know like really straining and everybody was like really tired after two and a half minutes of rocking insanely so that's why i that's why I chose it. Well, and it still it smells like smells like Teen Spirit has that super produced quality to it, right? Whereas Territorial Pissings is much more of their noisy roots. Mm. And I, I mean, I think I've read more than one place that Kirk didn't like the way that smell, uh, Nevermind sounded because it sounded so produced, right? So shame on you, Butch Vig. <laughs> no, uh, oh man, never mind. I like Territorial Pissings. Not my favorite. Um, that role that Dave Grohl does in the beginning, though, that that kicks a major behind. But if, I mean, I, I will always side with In Utero being the Nirvana album I like the best. But I don't think Smells Like Teen Spirit wasn't the one that grabbed me. It was Come As You Are, because I love the riff, which, yeah, we hear you people that are screaming, saying he stole the riff from Killing Joke. Yeah, they sound similar. I would also encourage you to listen to a song called Life Goes On by The Damned, mm-hmm. which shares almost the same riff. And I can't tell you off the top of my head which one came out first, 80s by Killing Joke or Life Goes On by The Damned. But I love the riff and that flange effect he has and just that liquid sound to it. That was always uh, my my jam. If I'm, if I'm going to listen to it's track off, never mind, I would go Come As You Are. Um, I was really into In Bloom for a while, but that one didn't hold up. And I'll, I must be a bad 90s kid because I'll skip Smells Like Teen Spirit if it ever comes on my, my Alterna station. No. Yeah, it's just, I think something about the time, like I was, I was sharing with you before, it's like there's a reason why I chose so many deep cuts is because, like, yeah, you would get into the album, you would get the album for some of these big landmark songs, but then it just got so overplayed that every time you heard it playing on your CD, you'd just be like, eh, like, and then you just kind of go on to the next one. Cause you already knew what it was. Like you need to like experience it time and time again. Now. So I'm going to, my next pick is I'm leaving it by it's lonesome because we're still, we're still bringing, we're still mellowing out our energy, but I could not smash this one up next to Adam Ant and talk about it in all seriousness, I guess. But my next my next track, as we segue from Adam Ant, we're going to go to a little bar band, I guess, is a good term for it, from, oh, Florida, I believe they're from. And we're, we're hitting up a little Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> and I can feel the judgment coming coming through your iPods right now and your iPhones and your Stitchers, whatever else you're listening to the show on. Whatever makes an impact, man. Yeah, for some reason, this song has stuck with me for, God, how long has this album been out? Almost 30 years. I mean, it's probably like 27, 28 years old now. And I can't even tell you where my obsession began with it, because I didn't like I uh, Hold My Hand. I thought that song was stupid, and I thought it was silly. 
and you know who are these guys this is just like it's just a bunch of dudes just i'm like yeah it's their bar band right like they're the guys you would expect to go into a bar on a saturday night hear a really crappy cover of wild horses while you're paying for your overpriced adult beverages and then this song comes out on mtv and i was like oh darius rucker has feelings okay and it just it impacted me and i i don't I don't know why it's just it's stuck it sticks with me and whenever I play it it comes on like shuffle I let it play and then I'm like you know what I gotta listen to it again <laughs> sonically it sounds great um, and I like that it has some heart to it and that it's I don't know it, it just it grabs me in this weird way that I almost can't quantify Yeah, it's a it's a good feeling track. It's like uh, Goo Goo Dolls or something like that. Where yeah, like the music in it is actually really good. I I love the guitar that kind of comes into him after like what is it after the second chorus comes in and he's just sort of like there's good choices in the band like the way that they wrote the song that it's easy to digest and kind of shows off Darius Rucker's voice for sure. Yeah, and I think maybe too is if you look at the first Hootie album, your big hits, and I only um. Hold my hand. Okay, yeah, we get it. I only want to be with you. The video is great for that song. But if you look like the court, like, I'm such a baby, the dolphins make me cry. He's not talking about actual dolphins. He's talking about the Miami dolphins, right? (laughs) Dan Marino's in the video. And so I guess it's one of those things, like, for as, as much as I like silly songs, like, one of my favorite songs all time, top 10, is Talk Dirty to Me by Poison. I love that song. Nice. I love that song all day. <laughs> but I like songs with some seriousness to them or some weight or something that's going to get me in a in a place. And listening to it as a teen, I didn't quite understand it. It just was kind of this downbeat song. And I'm like, well, I kind of like downbeat songs. But listening to it as an adult, it's there's some real there's a real story there that he's singing about like the, this disconnect between these two people mm-hmm. and other than the silliness and yeah, if it comes on, I turn it up, but I roll the windows up cause I don't want anyone to bust me listening to it. <laughs> it's, it tells a very adult story. And to me, it was very left of center for Hootie and the blowfish. And it just left a real impact on me. Just the story that the song tells and it's just stuck with me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I will listen to it this day. I, we might turn off the mics and that might be on. <laughs> turn off the mics and not glue. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, if you got a problem, you'll all solve it. Check out my hoodie while the DJ revolves it. <laughs> you know, Lofish, like Lofish, my, my old kid, my oldest kid's turning 11 today. I might be like, well, I got to go wrap a present. I got I got to go on throw on letter, letter cry while I'm doing that. Nice. So. Yeah, there's my there's my dissertation on why Letter Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish is a great song. Yeah. I mean it's an, it's impactful for you. That's all that's really what this list is about. And yep. I mean it's it's gonna be like it's gonna be personal more than it is, you know, like everybody's favorite or even a guilty pleasure. Like I mean it's just, it is what it is. Oh yeah, no, that song goes beyond the scope of guilty pleasure for me. Right. To back yours up, I'll even go you know, with my, some of my guilty pleasure slash impactful songs, there was a a, a year. Help me out here, because I I don't know what I don't remember what year we went to Sacramento as a 
as fourth a, fourth grade as a school do you remember what what year though like would it be like 90 90 yeah 90 or 91 it would have been yeah, 90 it would have been, been fall of 1990 okay yeah fall of 1990 your dad went on that trip didn't he he did, yeah. yeah. So we had a school, <laughs> we had a school trip. You know, we were Southern California, you know, kids. And one of the big things is to go to your your student, what is it like your state government state type capital, of capital? Uh, yeah, yeah. Go, go visit your state capital, figure out what it's about, and we'll go to like the governmental buildings and go around the wharf of uh, San Francisco. Even go to see Alcatraz. All yep. these really really cool sites. Memorable trip. And um, but for some reason, there was a radio on from somewhere. I think it might have been like the bus, the van or, we were in. Yeah, the the whatever it was, like, and there was just certain songs that, like, every time I hear them, it just take, takes me back to a San Francisco trip. There's three three exact songs. It's um, Freddie Johnson's "Bad Rep- Reputation," it's Mark Cohn's "Walking in Memphis," and it's REM's "Losing My Religion," <laughs> and. It's it's interesting because I mean those are so it, it's it's closely tied to the hooting the blowfish kind of scenario where you know you listen to these songs and they're like very on the level kind of adult contemporary feeling. I mean REMs is very heartfelt. I love Michael Stipe's singing that you know that really kind of introduced me to a better version of uh, REM than I felt that shiny happy people was like, I thought, I thought losing my religion was a little bit uh, more depth and more, I don't know the way it was produced was really awesome. So, and it's a huge radio hit. So, I mean, if you haven't heard losing my religion, it's totally worth it. But I mean, there's other songs that I could also, you know, I, of of REMs that I could choose, like Night Swimming or. Yeah. Um, it's funny, we 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 took the kids to the pool. Like it was, yeah. we had that massive heat wave a few weeks ago. Oh yeah. So we picked up the kids one night and took them to the pool. It was like eight o'clock at night, and it was still I don't know, like eighty five degrees outside. And I sat in the pool, you know, just like on the edge of the pool, and my phone next to me, and I had Night Swimming on repeat. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's such like an unrelated, like, if you've never heard it, it's like, I don't know, it's a very soothing track. And I think I kind of overlooked R.E.M. back in the day as sort of an impactful band because they kind of came out with Monster that was more based around them kind of rocking out and becoming more grungified. And I didn't, I, I think I just kind of got into like the wrong time of R.E.M., like sometime around there. Yeah, no, I mean, even... REM was a was a late '90s thing for me because, like you, I had heard "Shiny Happy People" and "Stand Into the World as We Know It." That's a great song. Yeah, um, that's a great song. But I remember hearing "Losing My Religion" as a kid, and I didn't like it. I didn't care for REM that much. And then "Everybody Hurts" as a kid, I didn't get it. I just thought like this yeah. is this is sappy on sappy on sappy. But it wasn't until the late nineties that uh, I started dipping my toe in the water with REM because they released that album after Bill Berry left where they didn't have a drummer, uh, the up album. And they did that song at my most beautiful. Mm. And that actually got me. And I went back and got into more REM and started to appreciate the automatic for the people album. And honestly, my favorite REM song 
if I had to pick one, it's probably, I think it's off their first album. It's uh, South Central Rain, the I'm Sorry song. Like that, I like that REM. Yeah. But, I mean, I know some people, they, they, they're Michael Stipe, but they take their Michael Stipe very seriously. Uh, but REM was just, it's like, I can throw on a few REM songs and I'm good. Yeah, even in the 2000s, they came out with a song called Leaving New York, and I thought it was really, like, impactful. It's just, he has a way of, um, I don't know, it's it's not quite super poetic, but it's like he takes time and he's mindful about where he places, you know, his vocals. and He's, he's, he's very, I think my problem with Michael Stipe is that he is from the church of Patti Smith, mm. and I do not care for Patti Smith <laughs> at all. Um, I don't, I'm not, I tried, but it was like horses, 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 never got into Patty Smith. So REM is even more touch and go for me, but it's funny. You mentioned that trip. This song didn't make my list, but I have a distinctive memory of being in a van. I don't know if you were in it, but I remember this is it. I mean, to this day, like I was in San Francisco last year and I was still thinking about this and that was 30 years later going across the Oakland Bay Bridge in that van, going to the airport to come back to San Diego, and Right Here, Right Now by Jesus Jones being on. Yeah. And this wasn't long after the big earthquake where they had to fix the bridge. And, yeah, that is a distinctive 90s memory for me is hearing that Jesus Jones song yeah, and being on that bridge and that trip and going to, like, Blue Diamond Almonds. And also EMF too, like that, that EMF track, like it comes into my head and I'm like, I'm back there with Jesus Jones. I'm back there with like all these, like these, these groups just have like a look. They, I don't know. Can't, can't describe it. Right. And you know, they stayed for one song and then they just left. Right. It's like a more, more tasteful rednecks. Like they, they, <laughs> <laughs> they bowed out gracefully. Right. Uh, I, do you do you want to talk about walking in Memphis, or were you just mentioning it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming back on that, I guess walking in Memphis to me, like it was such a tasteful. It, it was the same idea of the REM. Like it just, it was a very storytelling, uh, moving, spiritual kind of track that this guy went on, and I've never heard of him since <laughs> or before. But that was like a, a super track that lasted a long, a long time on VH1 and the adult contemporary charts. Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's up there with, like, Steve Winwood's like, The Power of Love. Like, mm. it's a song your parents really dug. <laughs> little Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just the way it is. Before Tupac found him. Yeah. Oh, and, and before Chevy Chase covered it in Community, but that's a different oh yeah story. yeah um yeah no like walking in Memphis, Bruce Hornsby in the range, Steve Winwood, like it's all stuff your parents would listen to. Yeah, you know it was safe, it was generic, but no, walking in Memphis is a good song. Although if I had to pick between that and that's just the way it is by Bruce Hornsby, I'd probably take Bruce Hornsby. Mm. They're very close in thought, but I mean, for the impact for the, of what I was thinking of, I just, personally, that's just what I had in mind. Bad Reputation, too. Like, I, I love the crap out of that song. Like, actually, now I'm kind of thinking of it, I don't even know if that was it, like, back in my head. But, like, I, I there were so many songs that sounded like Bad Reputation back in the day. If Do, do you know Bad Reputation that I'm talking about? It just starts I off, know, I know I got, I got a bad, bad reputation. reputation. 
And it isn't just talk, talk, talk. If I could only give you everything, you know I haven't got. The the pro I'm I'm super stuck on the Joan Jet one. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, wrong yeah, wrong feeling. No, that's great. It's 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 got like that soul asylum. It's yeah. it's verging on I wanna say it's verging on like slacker, lemonheads, gin blossoms area, which that's coming up, friends. Hey everybody, it's Jeff and Jer in the morning. That was bad reputation. <laughs> Yeah, Coming yeah. up, we've got tickets for SeaWorld. Call little Tommy. Tenth caller wins SeaWorld tickets right now. Jeff and Jared in the morning, B100, everybody. Here we go. We're talking today about uh, everybody's like crazy uh, cheating moments here today. Uh, How about those drivers out there, everybody? We're going to send some roses to some... Uh, so your girlfriend doesn't know that we're sending them to her, her secret lover. You're like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking it. That song just made me think of Jeff and Jared, like, driving with mom you know b100 in the morning uh if you did not grow up in the 80s and 90s in san diego you will not know what we're talking about but i'm sure somewhere in your town there was a set of morning djs that sounded just like that who who was the trio though chainsaw dave shelly and chainsaw thank you i couldn't think of the first two names it was like biting away man yeah no i listened to them for years yeah but yeah, they're, uh, I mean, they brought so many uh, of those moments to, to us. All right. So my next couple tracks, we've got, uh, we're going we're gonna to bring the energy back up, right? We're coming out of Let Her Cry. We're going to bring the energy back up. And it was hard. Nate throws me out this idea. I want to build a playlist. And anytime I have to make a playlist, I, I put on my, my 90s Trent Reznor hat. And when he's talking about how he, or how he, does the playlist for how the show is going to go with the lights and everything. So every time I make a playlist or a mixtape, that's how I do it. Uh, you know, like I make a lot of playlists for, for Mrs. Bob. And, you know, I always got to start off with a lead. It's, it's, it is hell on earth for a music nerd to pick a lead off track. So Nate throws me out this idea. I've got five songs that I, I want to pick as a lead off track. And this next song that I pick was one of them. But I buried it kind of in the middle, so we could we could be start going on the upswing as far as bringing the rock back. So my next synonymous '90s song that impacted me in a huge way was "Burn" by The Cure. This would be the track one, side one off the Crow soundtrack of 1994. Mm. And I had some exposure to The Cure at that point. I had older cousins who were much like my, basically kind of my older sisters, but they were my cousins. And they were older than me, so they exposed me to a lot of music in the 80s. And my oldest cousin, Allison, she really liked The Cure. Um, she got me into The Cure as, as a kid. Like, I knew Boys Don't Cry and Just Like Heaven. She got me into The Smiths in the 90s. But when I saw The Crow and I'd gotten a soundtrack as a birthday gift, this is the song that grabbed me. And I was like, oh, you know, I want to hear more of this. And it's funny about this song, and I, I mentioned this on our soundtrack episode, Burn is such a weird track for the Cure because of their 90s material. Nothing else sounds like this, right? It is such a one-off for them. But it's such a good song, and it ties in with the movie so well. Mm -hmm. So we're back on the (laughs) upswing. We got Burn, the Cure is playing. They're rocking out. And and it... (laughs) <laughs> we're rocking out so and, 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 and to keep the rock at a at a moderate level 
we're we're transitioning from burn by the cure and we're going to molly parenthesis 16 candles by sponge nice i didn't opt for the more popular plowed by sponge which i distinctly remember you having the cd for right. and it wasn't until nate had the cd and i saw it in my hand that i got that behind the picture was a bunch of candy corn yeah but molly is just one of those standout 90s alternative rock songs like it's got everything you want in like an alt rock song of the 90s mm-hmm. grow a little personal story here from it so there was one day and and nate knows i'm very nostalgic I'm very nostalgic that's why we're doing this right and my wife knows I'm very nostalgic. I get kind of lost in it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I was I was working out one day at the gym, and I'm I'm getting my stuff out of my locker, getting ready to change and go to work. And on the video screen, they're playing music videos, and up pops "16 Candles" by Sponge. And I was like, "Oh man, this song's so good, and it's so good." And I look down, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, "Wait a minute, it's not 1994 anymore." Like <laughs> I'm sad. I'm like, "Wait, I'm I'm 40." <laughs> and what well, what just happened you know and i had like the i had that real come to reality moment where it's like you know it's it's not the 90s anymore you're an adult you're grown up you got kids you're married but damn this song's still good uh so it was just it was a weird impactful moment and that song's tied into it yeah but i think it's just a, it's a great song it's like three minutes you get in you get out and <laughs> something that it, it does do is it connects that because the age, and I have an idea of writing a, a boys in the 90s mission statement <clears throat> or something to that effect of like who we are, what it, what this is. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, is the, the years in which we were born. We are, we are on the tail end of Gen X, but I do not consider us millennials. And what that means is we have, we share similarities with those Gen X kids. And what this song does is it, it melds those two worlds together because I'm old enough to have grown up on 80s movies. And when they say, you know, 16 Candles Down the Drink, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about 16 Candles with Molly Ringwald because I was raised on those movies. 16 Candles Down the But I'm also a 90s kid because I like alt rock. So to me, this song is an impact because it blends those two things together, right? It's the chocolate and the peanut butter. So mm-hmm. your thoughts? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, you wouldn't have like half of these alternative rock kind of standout tracks if it weren't for the where they came from in the '80s. I mean, they just perfected them in the '90s. They got a little bit harder. They got better technology to record with, and yeah, I mean, like that's as far as like where we stand generational wise. I I think we're just like a mishmash. I mean, but it's. You know, the the generation thing has so much more to do with, like, e- economy and things that, like, change that are outside of pop culture. You know, I think pop culture just sort of, like, hangs on to what it already knows sometimes and just sort of perfects it. I think whatever grunge was going for was happening in the 80s, but in the 80s, they weren't ready for that kind of stuff. The, it had to be in a more, you know, 90s sort of environment for it to actually flourish. So I guess we got we got to reaping the benefits of like that. We get, or, you know, we didn't even know of them as benefits until we get to look back and I, you know, eyesight is 2020 and it just happened to be our favorite decade. 
because of that. I mean, it's just like people who grew up in the 60s. They're like, oh, I can't believe, you know, that and the other. I mean, we had such civil rights, you know, empowerment during the 60s. Why can't we have that today? You know, they their mind is still back then when things were progressing in a different way. And right. I guess maybe we felt it in a different way than it is currently. And maybe the advancements aren't, aren't where we wanted to be. But I could get lost in 90s music and stuff back then as a as a teenager. So I was in my happy zone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let me see what else I got here on the old list. Go ahead. So here's a pretty, I don't know. It's um, We've talked about her before. She was uh, one of the, the reasons that got me into like more alternative rock, actually, which is kind of interesting because it's it just goes to show that like your influences can come from anywhere. And um, one night I was watching Saturday Night Live as I was wont to do. And I thought that that was, you know, the greatest, you know, speaking of generations, I thought that that generation of Saturday Night Live was the greatest one ever. Mike Myers and, uh, uh, and just, because it is. Yeah. I mean, I forget what season that actually is. Uh, Dana Carvey. And um, it's like season, I mean, 14 season 13 through i want to say 18 19 those are our peak snl right so i mean just that whole cast was like to to me just one of the best ever be and it just happened to be that that's when my teenage years were and um so i flip it on the tv and usually we have like a rock act or something that i've seen a million times but then all of a sudden i see like a, a small children's choir i see a lady with like giant uh timpani drums i see uh, a lady with two pianos and i'm like what is going on here and all of a sudden it's uh you know she's singing like a fairy-esque kind of song about uh called Cotolite sneeze and that was tori amos now you know bob feels his way about tori amos <laughs> as well as a lot of people would feel about tori amos she's a bit flighty and she's a bit uh much to handle if you haven't really listened to her uh, i you know there's other independent artists that are a little bit more jarring to me like joanna newsom it's a little bit like kind of odd and i mean it, there's a lot of other space out there there's a lot of indie, independent artists that like i people swear by that i cannot get into so i'm completely on board with having those acts that you just don't get into but <laughs> For an impact for me, I thought it was a great performance. Uh, going back on it now, I can see that there's a lot of like pre-recorded stuff going on, like where it was just like th- for three theatrical reasons. Like there's, I don't think there's like maybe five kids singing about like thirty kids parts, <laughs> like <laughs> as far as <laughs> as far as like how it sounds. But Tori Amos to me is such headphone music and. You know, when we were talking about like goth, like influences and stuff that that really got went into like my what our 18s and 20s, maybe like into that direction. I don't even know like when I don't even know if like it's that big of a deal in your life, the whole goth thing still. But, you know, the ethos, which is my my heart's still black on the inside. Yeah, it's like it's fun to go back to. But like I've never dressed up like that or did anything like that to the fullest like a lot of other people did. But I still felt the same way at times in the 90s, definitely, because I was going through a lot of angst and a lot of, you know, where am I in this world type of stuff. And I think that her music to me was just sort of like an escape, like by, I don't know, through like choices. Like she made so many weird, crazy choices that 
kind of got me excited about music and about in general, you know, like what kind of alternative music could mean because up until a certain point in my life, I was kind of jarred in like a kind of adult contemporary kind of wall, like where I could only listen to like safe music and kind of boring music really. So that's just my little take on Tori Amos and you can, <laughs> you can take, you can take that if you want to go with it. But I'm sure that we all have like odd, you know, groups that maybe the other people won't listen to or just find kind of repulsive or boring or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm going to take the diplomatic approach and just say for Tori Amos, I'm just not a fan. <laughs> That's cool. It's, it's nothing personal. You know, I don't, it's, it's not that she's a woman. I just, I don't enjoy her songs. Right. If, if we're talking 90s, we're talking females, we're talking females playing piano, I would take Fiona Apple. Yeah. Uh, I would I would take Fiona Apple's first album because it's really good. Oh, totally. Um after that, I'm still I'm still grateful that I caught her whenever she came back and um after Extraordinary Machine, like she did like a outdoor event and I felt I I went by myself and I felt like I was going on a date by myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good experience. I was just like, oh, this is so so pleasant. I like it. <laughs> I'm the prettiest girl to fall. <laughs> I really felt that way. It was very nice. Okay, well, you want to bounce off Torian with something more palatable? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if we're gonna go more palatable, but what's what's a, well, let's let's not go on. But like, what's a group that you would put in like that same fashion? Like you, you know that they're like they're probably repulsive, like by somebody, but you just get into it. Like, I mean. I work with a lady who, when I said I was going to Las Vegas and I told her who I was going to go see, she's like, yeah, I don't like them at all. Oh, okay. Um, but I mean, other than, other than the boy, the kids think Tool is boring, mm. but as far as like, like you have some very, you have, you have some singer songwriter stuff like to me that I, I can't connect with. Like, yeah, the, the, the easy pickings would be most people our age detest the eagles mm. right they don't have a peaceful easy feeling about them yeah <laughs> i enjoy the eagles uh something about lion eyes you know after the thrill is gone i love the eagles uh, right uh, i mean i don't go out of my way to listen to hotel california but if it's on it's on yeah it just brings in like those emotions those emotions that you're like just like you can't find anywhere else that just happen to be with the eagles yeah 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 like you know like a lot of people Okay, I'll I'll tattle. For as much as I may have a, a goth heart, um, a lot of people raise an eyebrow when I tell them one of my favorite albums of all time is Carol King's Tapestry. Yeah, that's pretty close. Or the first Jackson Brown album, I love. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people don't get the Jethro Tull thing. Or or here here's one. Uh, right. A lot of people, if I tell them I like Genesis, they think all they think of is Invisible Touch. Mm. Right. They they think the 80s Genesis. They don't think, you know, early Gabriel into the 70s. I love Land of Confusion. <laughs> yeah. Like prog rock. <laughs> right. Um, as far. Yeah. I mean, as far as to test, I mean, I mean, Nine Inch Nails is a big one. Like a lot of people just go like, ooh. <laughs> my personal favorite is telling people like where I was going or like, I'm not going to be out of town. I'm going to be out of town for a couple of days. Well, what are you doing? Going to Vegas. Oh, what are you doing? Going to see a show. What are you going to see? Uh, nine Inch Nails. What's a Nine Inch Nail? 
<laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's you know, it's a band. I'm you have to explain band. the whole thing. Yeah, and it's like, oh, I've never heard of them. Like, well, actually, if you've watched the the Oscars the last couple of years, yes, you have heard of them. But I'm gonna, or it's like, oh, they're so loud and angry, and I'm like, well, actually, if you've seen like Soul. But it's it's funny because like it's all about perspective, right? Because it's like yeah. like Tori Amos was tied in with tightly with Nine Inch Nails and Tool, right? Like, it, she's had Maynard back up her part on. Muhammad, Muhammad my, friend. my friend and and she even she says uh in lyrics they're nine inch nails and little fascist panties stuffed inside the heart of every nice girl that's like that's a lyric of hers that comes out of nowhere and she talks about pretty hate machine in the same song so it's like so it's, it's a weird <laughs> mixture of like I mean, what is going on here? Because it's like everything is, it's like, oh, you got my peanut butter and your chocolate and that, that sort of scenario again. But it's, for some reason, there's part of it that you just can't can't stomach. It's uh, like recently they had the 25th anniversary for for South Park, which was shared by, on stage by Primus and Ween. It's like... <laughs> and Rush. Well, If you don't feel, you know, like somewhat about some of those bands, it's like they're very jarring bands. Yeah, no, a lot of people, like, I like Rush. A lot of people hate Rush. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, um, Nin, Nin is one, and, um, let's see, how do you want to say this one? Uh, the artist formerly known as Brian Warner. <laughs> we can, I mean, I, I almost put Marilyn Manson on the list because it's, Oh, so did I. Very, very so did impactful. I. I mean, I can still. I mean, we still have time for like another series of this stuff. But yeah, that it's just you know we want to talk a... about impact. I mean, uh, as a young youth, <laughs> yeah. as, as a youth, <laughs> did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a youth? I mean, like Marilyn Manson was was it? I mean, you'd turn on you know MTV and like you either got the same looking people of NSYNC and everybody else, or you got like Marilyn Manson out there in full-blown makeup, you know, and doing his thing. And I thought it was very artistic, very creative. The whole thing was very, like, up my alley. And I was, like, I, was, I loved every part of the Marilyn Manson, like... Experience? You know, train. Yeah. All right, so my next selection, now that we've got The Rock bringing back up, we're going to go Maximum Energy right now. And we are going to go with the second track off the 1992 Broken EP, which is Wish by Nine Inch Nails. Nice. And uh, I know we've probably mentioned this on other shows. There'll there'll probably be one or two shows wholly dedicated to all things Trent Reznor in the 90s. (laughs) And I was hesitant to put any Nine Inch Nails on this list because, well, they're just their own animal. But again, after driving to the middle of the desert to go see them, after not seeing them for 17 years and everything else, it was hard to get away from. And this is just one of those songs that had a huge impact on me the first time I ever heard it. And it has lasted to this day in, in its various forms of I'm a teen and I'm angsty and I don't like anybody and I don't like anything to I'm an adult and I'm angsty and I don't like anybody and I don't like anything. <laughs> this song has so much going for it. It's got that, it's got that skiffle beat. The It's got the huge anthemic chorus. Mm-hmm. And say what you want. As a as a lyricist, 
Trent Reznor is not a Maynard from Tool. He's not this deep philosophical thinker and or like a Tory or like Fiona Apple. But what he does write is very impactful in its simplicity. And this song cuts that simplicity and is just sonic anger and loud and huge. And it's definitely a song I can't play when my kids are around. Uh, (laughs) But it, as someone who liked alternative rock in the 90s and had this burgeoning interest in Nine Inch Nails in the early 90s, this song was huge for me. It's still huge for me. Um, When I saw them a few weeks ago, I can guarantee you, and the reason why we didn't record two weeks ago is between Wish and a song called The Becoming off the Downward Spiral when they played live. I guarantee that's when I blew my voice out because I was doing it on purpose, right? (laughs) This song is what I like to call a sonic exorcism where you just, you hear it and you want to throw everything into it. This is one of my favorite songs to end a workout with. Um, On my workout playlist, I, I probably have three or four different versions of this song. I've got live versions. I've got the original version. I've got the fixed extended remix version. And if I if I need a little help to get up and go, I will put this song on because it's just that amount of energy. And it's just this three minutes of sonic fury. And again, not much else sounds like it. It's so layered. Mm-hmm. And for for as accomplished as a musician as Trent Reznor is, the song's fairly simple. Like when I recently started picking up the guitar again, this is this is the song I wanted to learn how to play. And it's not complicated. It's the guitar parts are like power chords. Mm-hmm. which you don't necessarily always attribute with Nine Inch Nails. Um, but this song, huge impact, huge impact. I mean, I've been listening to it for almost 30 years, and it just never gets old. Yeah, there was a, there was a time when I just had to have everything sound like that. Like, it was just blasted out. I mean, I think it was due to... Uh, I I forget if I, if I saw Wish at the time that it came out or if I found it during the downward spiral days, because I remember that closer kind of influenced a lot of the getting to know that band a little bit more. Right. Um, and then they would go back and play like head, like a hole and down in it and stuff like that as well as wish, but wish had just like this weird, crazy feeling like, you know, like this is, this is, before Marilyn, Marilyn Manson had like uh, beautiful people and like the crazy looking uh, videos by Floria Sigismondi. I mean, like all of those, those influences came later, but whenever they had this crazy video with like, they're featured in like a half dome of like a cage kind of yeah. scenario where they're like all the people their... climbing on it. Yeah. It's like, you never know what, like if they're trying to climb in or they like, you know, staying away from the band or does the band trying to be like protected or all these chains are flying around. You're like, it's just very, it just made an impact that way. Like just, you know, visually it was different. uh, It was dangerous. Yeah. It was just, it reminded me of like uh, something out of, you know, uh, Mad Max or one of those type of things where it's like, it's odd, you know, it's, is it in the future? Is it, I don't know what it is. So, um, so you never really saw that like in even punk rock shows and stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't people climbing a cage or doing crazy stuff like that. It was just, I I felt like punk rock was a little bit tame compared to nine inch nails at the time, honestly, because of the sound, it's like such a huge booming thing. And once you get 
the fixed soundtrack or the fixed like remix album of Broken, and you hear some of the remixes of Wish, it just you know some of it can go on a little bit long. But if you love the, the original song, then it you know it's it can't go on long enough. Like no. <laughs> it, just, you can play that riff all day. Yeah, it's just kind of a crazy cacophony of. Uh, I don't know how they brought that in there, but it, you know, definitely just that compressed noise sound that Nine Chanel's perfected. I, I felt like that really made an impact on what I listened to today. So yeah, it's an excellent, excellent pick. And speaking, I wanted to speak on, you know, you say speaking of their own animal, um, as Nine Chanel's were, they, that, that made me think of the, the song that they produced for the English band prick, which is called animal. And it had some airplay at the time of the alternative rock and whatnot. They had, um, on, on the nothing records moniker they had you know pop lee itself had uh, an album through that um and prick was just like one of those bands that came out of nowhere and they're like is this nine inch nails because it's it was so distinctly just them <laughs> that it, that it made it sound like nine inch nails So um, that just made me think of that song for, <laughs> for whatever reason, just off the top of my head, but that was impactful in its own way. Um, kind of flipping the script a little bit and going away from that, I'll go towards, um, I mean, another, I guess not not entirely away from the script, but I mean, we both love Tool like crazy today, um, but I picked up Undertow at kind of like a, a younger age because whenever I saw sober i mean it's kind of a stupid reason but like whenever i saw music videos they would always feature the bands in in their entirety like rocking out and doing the exact same thing for every music video but tool decided to take a different approach and um i forgot the artists that they were kind of um trying to emulate um but they did a lot of like crazy kind of doll work and animations and such but they used that for sober and sober was a huge track um it kind of made a i don't know what you want to say like a frat boy kind of craze out of like like <laughs> can we not be sober like i just want to be drunk all the time man like that's kind of i think that's who they were making fun of anyway with fr- the frat boys i don't know yeah it's like tool was like a little bit too good for itself like whenever they came out with it like they had they had a little bit highfalutin attitude like about everything they do a little bit a little bit no, never. I mean, that's just Mayor James Keenan, like going crazy. Like, <laughs> you know, he's got, he's, he's got sort of a, like this inner ego that like, he can't quite say that's, you know, like an ego, like <laughs> I can't explain it. Has that changed? But so they had sober that prison sex, which was a huge song. But yeah. for me, like going through the entirety of undertow is sort of like a roller coaster because you have so many different types of songs being played to you. But I felt that Crawl Away was one of these impactful songs that kind of made um, an impact on me that I used to play over and over again. And it follows the the classic tool structure of the way that they they sing a couple of choruses worth of a song. They break the whole song down into like a whisper quiet kind of like, you know, mood and and kind of sit there for a while in the song. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's like huge drums. There's Maynard screaming. There's... Um, like a really cool double time drumming that comes out of nowhere and a lot of like really bass heavy 
lines and stuff that are being played throughout the entire song. But, you know, Danny Carey, the, the octopus himself is like such a great, you know, drum God that, um, back in the day, like we couldn't really, I couldn't see any more than like the double bass patterns that he played were so intricate and they stood out so much. And I think crawl away was a good example of a song that you really heard that from. So I'm going to say that crawl away was an impactful song back in, I would say my high school days. And there's a lot of other songs on there too, that would be impactful. Like, especially, you know, with Henry Rollins, you know, on the track. Naked. Naked. Exactly. Fear yeah. Fear is naked. Fear is naked. Yes. Fear is naked. I'm naked and fearless. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. Thoughts on first first tool listens? I mean, was was uh Undertow your first listening to Tool? Yeah, no, Under Undertow was Undertow was the first one I heard. Okay. I remember you had the tape. I mean, I had heard Sober Tool. I got into Tool very late 90s, early 2000 lateralis is what really brought me into well lateralis and and hearing a couple tracks off anima undertow i was i mean up until the last couple years i was always kind of like hemming and hawing and undertow because i mean sober's good i remember when i saw i mean i've seen tool seven times so one of the times i saw them there was this guy standing behind me and every time they would play a song he would ask me what the song was they play the next song ask me what it was Next song, asked me what, and then the riff came in from Sober. He knew that one, like instantly knew what song that was. Um, I like Crawl Away. Uh, I like the little intro it has. The the you have to you have to like really listen to it. Like if you have, it's more noticeable if you have headphones on. But it's got all the good Tool hallmarks of like the the very the Adam Jones guitar sound. Mm-hmm. Maynard doing his Maynard. Well, no, it's got you know it's Maynard, but he's not doing any of the crazy long notes or anything. Yeah, that he really got into with Anima and Lateralis later on. I think I think there's a moment like when he goes like where he's on that tirade where it's like this is my love for you, this is my love for you, and then he goes like this is my love, and then he like holds out love and, like, while they're doing like a crazy like double time drumming and going crazy, and it just it just has like a, a an upkick and like. You know, as they would say back in like the old days, that uh, they're a rave up. <laughs> they would, they would, they kind of like, kind of like do a double time. You know, like on a faster uh, little kick into it. So, I don't know. It just it stood out to me. I mean, if I had to pick an impactful song off Undertow, though, I'm thinking I might go with maybe the song Undertow or Flood. I got re- I got really into Flood for some reason. Right. And then, yeah, I remember, I remember texting Nathan one day going, been listening to Undertow a lot lately. You know, that song with Rollins doesn't really hold up. It's kind of silly. And then I listened to it some more. And then I found myself, I'm like, I'm putting this on my workout mix because it's, it's really good. Because your soul must be iron. <laughs> yeah. No, Crawlway is good though. Crawl, I like Crawlway. Yeah. It's got, it's, I like the end a lot. I, I like the end of the song. I, I enjoy Undertow, but it's not my favorite. Yeah. It, it was trying to figure out what it was, I think. I mean, I, if you listen to Opiates, it just it, it felt like a collection of ideas. And 
Right. And then they had to kind of use those ideas and they got a little bit, um, I don't know. I think it's, it's a crazy different, like each song is kind of crazy different from each other. I feel. Yeah. But it's like, and it's, and it's very much like, like the downward spiral in a way, like the, the, how different it gets. Yeah. No, yeah. Nothing really sounds like undertow. Yeah, no, but I mean, whenever it gets and they keep evolving as it goes through Anima and, and so forth. I mean, how, like they want to get to a spot where at lateralis is, but it, I think it took like a different, um, different producer, different path. You know, they, they just kind of went the way of the third eye kind of, you know, looking in, looking inside yourself and, and yes, it went very, very introspective. Yeah. And like trying to figure out what life is and very like existentialists and they, they took a different path after a certain way, but I think undertow is very much more like looking at general themes and just going from there. I don't know. I got, I did. You know what I do? I do appreciate about undertow is there's no interstitials. Yeah. True. It's, it's just banger, 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 banger. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know why that became a thing either, which was kind of like weird to me because I love, I love Anima except for every other track is like something that I'll skip almost. Yeah. No, it's like, yeah, I don't need the thunderstorm. I don't need the baby crying. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't need dear von Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do. yeah. The only one that's like tolerable is, is the, the organ version of eulogy. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. One. That one's fun. But other than that, yeah, the rest yeah. of it's just, just skip it. All right. All right. Well, that was my, my take on just I guess like the tool segment of like my impactful feel, but I mean there were there were tons of tool songs that were impactful. It's just one of those that like keep on kept on coming up. In fact, I I kept on playing it so much that like a a girl that I I, I was new to like a high school that I went to and some girl was in our group that she was very like uh pop edged kind of like interested in in poppy stuff and i used to play that song all the time because of the double i, I think because of the double bass and like it was just a little bit crazy and she's like turn that off like every time i put it on that's just crap <laughs> yeah exactly all right well moving on i picked i mean it was hard to cull some of these down but i'm gonna go with a couple downbeat songs here we're just we're just gonna like sandwich them together so for my next couple i picked found out about you by the gin blossoms nice and one by you too hmm. so what do these songs have in common nothing really other than they're both more i mean i hate sounding sad but they're more melancholic if you will i picked found out about you for one that arpeggio riff is really good and it's kind of like the hootie and the blowfish song that i picked it tell it tells a story, mm. which I like, but it's just something about the Jim Blossoms that just gets stuck in my head. And I, you know, there's no real deep thoughts behind that song. It's just I like the story it tells. It's wistful, and maybe it's some unrecorded love or some some heartbreak. But it's kind of stuck with me, and it's got that '90s jangle slacker rock vibe that, for some reason, really gets to me that I really enjoy, and I don't understand why. But One by U2, that's, I mean, that song's a lot to unpack. It's, I mean, you can take it so many different ways. There's so many stories about what it's about. What does it mean? But 
just on the surface level, the riff, the lyrical structure. Growing up, I didn't really care for you two a lot because you know I knew with or without you and where the streets have no name, and I was. I wasn't, and I'm still really not a huge fan of that Joshua Tree, Unforgettable Fire, Rattle and Hum era U2. That's that's not my U2. That's not necessarily U2 I grew up with. Octung Baby's more my U2, because I like the U2 with a slight darker side and the more sardonic Bono. <clears throat> you know, when he took on the persona of being a pompous ass before he really was a pompous ass. Or super pretentious. He was just playing pretentious, not actually being pretentious. One, though, it's such a standout on that album. <laughs> and it's a hard thing to say because that album, other than a couple tracks, each song is fantastic. Um, but one just has this power behind it and this this feeling. For me, it just generates this feeling like it's... Mm-hmm. It's it's a plea. It's a, it's a question. It's it's a lot of things. It's just the way you want to interpret it. Um, and since I heard it the first time when I was ten, it's always stuck out to me. You know, you, you can you can take it from mm-hmm. the stance of it's a, a parent to a child, a child to the parent, uh, a lover, a friend. You know, there's yeah. it's a relationship breaking down. Um, and you can it it paints with a broad brush, but you can make it your own. So that's why I picked that song. One love we get to share it. Leaves you, baby, you don't care. That's cool. Yeah, you two was not really on my radar except for like uh, in the radio plays, and I think just because of the radio, the radio kind of cheapened things for me. Like as far as what I really thought about certain songs, so. You know, as I had listened to songs like from Fleetwood Mac and whatever my mom used to listen to, Journey. <laughs> um, oh. There's just there's just songs that like might have been good and might have been you know like something deeper, but like because of wherever I was as a kid, I didn't really have any frame of mind of like what they were talking about or or even a, an idea of a deeper set of emotions than what I had, I guess, on the on the shallow end. So. So yeah, one definitely. I mean, throughout the years, I mean, that's a great track. I'm I'm thankful to actually have seen it live. I mean, because I I don't know if they would they ever tour again. You think like? What you too? Yeah, I think so. Because I haven't heard them doing something like that for a while. I mean, I don't know. They did the they did a big tour for I think it was the 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree. Mm. Um. They aren't exactly like like Rolling Stone though. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is like it's not like they're like a legacy. Like, like let's keep this ball rolling kind of band. No, they don't just tour to tour. Right. Outside of um, what was that album with um, Don't Think, Don't Swing, no, da, 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 da. Oh, uh, Zeropa. Zeropa, yeah. During yeah. that whole Zeropa tour was like ridiculous. <laughs> like that was like their kind of Rolling Stone moment, I thought, where they just kind of went all out and did the rock star thing. A little bit. And then there was the pop tour where they, you know, and that did the tour announcement in Kmart. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, one is definitely on there. What was the, what was the first one you said? It was Jingle Pop. Oh, I found out about you by the Jim Blossoms. Oh, found yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting that confused with... Um... Till I Hear It From You, also by the Jim Blossoms. 
there's that. Um, I've just got too many. Oh, I'm thinking of better than Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> it was good living with you, or good thinking about you. Brother. Yeah, it was good. Wow, yeah. it was good living with you. Wow. There were so many songs. I mean, so many bands that sort of were on that same, you know, bent that time. You know, for yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that was the first thing that popped in my mind. But yeah, those are definitely impactful. I would say for me too. Um, going on in mine, I I will place these two together. I I put Radiohead Creep along with Just in the same kind of little bubble because they were kind of impactful to hear on the first at the first time. I mean, Pablo Honey was not the greatest of albums for anybody's remembrance, but um. But Radiohead definitely had like one of those irreplaceable, I don't know, sounds, I would say, uh, on the radio more than anything. They just have like a little bit of the same formula in those two songs, like where they had like sort of a quiet introduction to Tom York's voice during the verses, and then they would go crazy during the, the chorus. Right. And like in, in included in Just, I think Just did impact me because of like the noise it created. And it was like not afraid to go there. Like during during three minutes and 20 seconds into just like you hear that insane 10 second squeal that just comes out of nowhere. From, uh, from Johnny, Johnny Greenwood's guitar. And just like, you're like, what is going on? And you know, that's just how Radiohead was. Like they just had the two extremes at all times. And then, you know, this is pre, um, okay computer where they really you know they started to experiment more and more and coupled with them there's a song called canon by self i don't know if you remember that song no i'm thinking of cannonball by the breeders well they're that was cool too but at the same at the same time like there was a lot of bands were like trying to do the exact same thing as radiohead so like self was sort of a an independent like rocking group i think it was like uh, i think it was one guy i could be wrong which is why he was called self but they came out with a song called Canon. Um, and, you know, during the during the choruses, of course, it was like rock out, rock out, rock out. And then really soft during the verses and then rock out, rock out, rock out. You know, the same formula was like such a, a Radiohead staple. Some people put that to or give that to the Pixies for doing that. I don't know the Pixies that well. Yes, they did. Um, whether or not they could be the first band that did stuff like that, but definitely Radiohead picked up that same sound. I, I felt like Radiohead were one, were one of those groups that I just followed single to single, just sort of like a dog to water or whatever you want to say. <laughs> like just had, you know, it was so easy for me just to pick up every single that they ever put out. Yeah. Creep. I remember saying online, I remember Creep was one of those, it was one of the only moments I had with a radio station where I called in requesting it. They had just, they had just played it, I guess, like 20 minutes before I called. And so I was kind of like bothering them <laughs> by, by asking them to play it again. And so they, they were like <laughs> tired of people calling in too probably requesting the same thing so they were playing like a bunch of garbage <laughs> for me over the phone like they had some kind of weird experimental like thing that they're playing for me and i think they were trying to get me to hang up but i just like sat through <laughs> the crazy noise that they were playing for me on the phone i'm like oh, okay this is pretty weird and and then they're like hello are you still there and i'm like 
yeah, I just want to hear Creed by Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were like, okay, we'll play it for you like before 6 o'clock. And I think it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit around for three hours <laughs> listening for, for Creep. But was it not? Was it ninety one X? Yeah, it was ninety one X. like I'll show you, Chris Cantori. <laughs> yeah, Creep didn't get me. I mean, it still doesn't. Um, I didn't get into Radiohead mm. until more OK Computer. I like Just. I went back and listened to the Benz after I got OK Computer. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I. With age, I think I might appreciate the Benz more than I appreciate OK Computer. Huh. The Benz is a little more straightforward. Yeah. Um, but Creep's good. I think oh, there's a song off Pablo Honey that I actually really like, which is Thinking About You. That song I actually always liked way more than Creep. I remember I got Pablo Honey in one of those BMGs hmm. 12 CDs for a penny deals. And I was like, I don't really want to buy this album with money, so I'll just get it through BMG. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't actually want to, you know. <laughs> For the money. CDs are $20, yeah. and I don't know if the first Radiohead album is worth, <laughs> you know, my, my hard-earned money. But Just is a great song, and I like the video. I remember the video a lot. Yeah. Um, it's super weird. <clears throat> a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, it's got that, that signature Radiohead, like, quiet, loud. But, yeah, I think the Pixies were really one of the first to really do that. They just had such, I don't know, listening to the Pixies, I guess, like, a decade after they released stuff, for me, it was, like, when I found them. I, it didn't really speak to me as far as anything that sounded different, because, I mean, at the time, everybody was following the Pixies, so I was like, uh, I guess they're just sort of coming up with, like, these crazy ideas, you know? Right, yeah monkey's gone to heaven and like singing in spanish and like i'm like what are they doing you know it's very confusing to me like whenever i i found them at like age 20 or something the pixies have that very much like 80s college rock yeah and which was you know i was what (laughs) less than 10 so i i was like far away from college yeah yeah it's like there's some college rock that i enjoy like i really like husker do yeah Um, but the pixies like monkey gone to heaven. Where's my mind? Here comes your man. You know, like, right. I don't like one. Of, I don't like being one of those people. Like just play me the hits, but with the pixies, it's like, yeah, just kind of play the songs. I know. Yeah. I got a broken face. <laughs> uh-huh. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I got a broken face. Uh-huh. 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 Oh, I got a broken face. I got a broken face. <laughs> Listening to the pixies is, Wave of mutilation. I love Wave of Mutilation. You can play that for me all day. Yeah, I like the Hey song. Oh, hey! Yeah. Been yeah. trying to meet you. Yeah, that's cool. Well, speaking of the Pixies, um, as we as we wrap to the towards the end of my list, mm-hmm. with, with my last two being epics as far as song length. Uh, speaking of the Pixies, of uh, the second to last song I picked to kind of wind out this list is by a Pixies influenced band, which would be the Smashing Pumpkins. Ooh. And you can take all your Smashing Pumpkins. You can take your Cherubrock, your Disarm, your Today, your Bullet with Butterfly Wings. You can take it all and just leave me with my Porcelina of the Vast Oceans. Hmm. 
Because to me, that for for me, that's that's really the end all, be all Smashing Pumpkin song for me. And I remember being freshman in high school buying Melancholy at Target, you know, because it's that double album. So that's serious money you're throwing down. And listening to most of it, and so you know, it, it's okay. It, that's the problem with double albums. Sometimes they should be cut down to one. Mm-hmm. and there's some really good songs on the record as a whole, but for some reason, Poor Selena always stuck out to me. I don't hate long songs, and this one, it's like you got to wait through two minutes of, like, doodling guitars and, like, mellow, and then it just, it rocks, mm-hmm. and it does that typical Pumpkins, loud, or quiet, loud, quiet, loud, um, but what it doesn't have, it doesn't have a crazy amount of that James Ehaw high tensile guitar which i appreciate yeah um but you don't like zero it's okay (laughs) it's like when we were talking about the soundtracks and the the song they do on singles and it's just got you know it's it's just got like five minutes of him going yeah this track has less of that though uh and it's just big like it's nine and a half minutes long and it's just this big sounding song. Um, again, for someone who really likes lyrics, like I kind of get what it's about, although I don't get what it's about. Um, but this has just always been such a standout Smashing Pumpkin song to me. And the one that, one of the few Pumpkin songs I keep going back to listen to over and over and over again. Nice, yeah. I, I'm. I was a lover of that that whole album. I got the uh, the thick tablature. Um, oh yes, like how to play guitar book books for the entire album, and I, I I just I love like going through each song, even if I didn't really listen to it, and just trying to figure out like, oh, that's what he's doing here, like on guitar. I loved everything from like Siamese Dream. I thought that was a great album. Um, it kind of like backed up a little bit like the Sonic Youth kind of sound like where they, you know, it wasn't as crazy. They were more like song oriented, almost very like prog oriented. Yeah. Like material too. They would keep on going, like you said, for like a little bit longer than you thought they would. Or should. Or should. <laughs> but um, I, I still stand by Everlasting Gaze as like one of the harder tracks that like they've ever released. And I always turn to that. Like if I'm, if I'm putting on like a rock mix, of whenever I want to hear like really loud, crazy, like impactful metal or even rock, like hard that, rock. Yeah, that would be definitely a song that I would put on. But yeah, Porcelina, I, I think it kind of, I don't know. There are a lot of songs in that in that album, and so it's hard for me to like kind of pick it out. But I can I can remember those tracks very very much so. I had a very like teenage moment with <laughs> with one of those one of those songs. I tried to impress a girl by saying like I would totally like put this on for you. Well, I was between this song and thirty three. Mm, yeah, but this song this song sticks with me more. Nice. Well, if you're if you're rounding off your list, I'll get to maybe a couple of mine left that I have left. Um, one of them I wanted to put on was just one that I just related to recently. <laughs> it's been Fold 5 song for the dumped. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me back my black t-shirt. It was such a, yes, and it's so different. I mean, you want to talk about different than that you would never hear today, like an actual piano rocking out with distorted bass and um, 
you know, rocking drums and stuff. I mean, and and there's something about his voice. Like, it reminds me, I don't know how closely you, you know Elliot Smith's voice, but, but yeah. to me, Ben Folds sounds like if Elliot Smith had a piano and 10 cups of coffee in him. <laughs> Smoked a pack a day. Yeah, like, just got a little bit more, like, energetic, like, yeah, here we go. Um, but, yeah, this song is, like, filled with cutting lyrics, filled with bitterness and vitriol, and it's, like, channeled through a, a piano like you said give me back my money and <laughs> give me my money back and give me back my black t-shirt those are great lyrics i mean he, he's full of great lyrics throughout all of his albums that he's released yeah he is um and, and i love the brief moment that each band member got like during the song during, he had that each had like a little solo like they had a, a dragon drums part that jaunty piano break and like a distorted drums part or a bass part that I mean, it just comes out of nowhere, and you're like, are we on the same song? Like, <laughs> like, is this about being dumped, or is this about, like, some joyous, you know, occasion? So it's kind of a, an interesting take on the, on the whole, like, being dumped thing for, for 97, so. Yeah, I, I, that song is what got me to buy the album. Yeah. And it, there is a particular earnestness in that song, because realistically... I mean, I hadn't been dumped at that point, but if I was role playing, I could understand where it was coming from. <laughs> and yeah, there's this, this earnestness to that song and it's everything you're thinking of. Right. And it's just in a song and it's in this easy digestible package. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, as you're saying, it's got that, it's got that jaunty piano break in the middle and the bass and it's, it's like, no one wants to be dumped, mm-hmm. but he puts some fun to it. Right. And yeah, who hasn't been with somebody and either gotten dumped or you've broken up and they've kept something of yours that you want back? Oh, yeah. Believe me, I, I'm going through this right now. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I met a girl. I met a girl like on one of these you know online dating things, um, met her. And I was like, so I was going to like surprise her. And be, like I knew her online for like a week. And I had this uh, she worked in like a, a cooler as I did. And so I just got this new, like, really cool hoodie that I thought, like, I, I'm really addicted to hoodies buying, by the way. Um, so I got this really cool one that I, I hadn't seen before. And, and so it was, like, brand new out of the package. I knew it was clean. So I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to go surprise her because she doesn't have a hoodie. She kept telling me in text, right? So I go and surprise her with this hoodie. I'm like, here, check this out, you know? Like, thinking that we're going to see each other maybe weeks on end. Who knows, you know? And so it takes me like two more, two more texts. And then she just ghosts me like, <laughs> like out of nowhere. And I'm like, well, give me, give, give me back my hoodie. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, <laughs> what is this? You know, like I just, you know, it's one of those, one of those things that you like think is going to last forever. So you like keep on sharing things back and forth and out of nowhere, it just becomes absolutely nothing. So, so yeah, I'm right there with you, Ben Folds. and I'm, yeah, Ben Folds gets it, man. Like <laughs> somewhere out there, someone that I was with long ago still has my Echo and the Bunnyman box set, probably. Right. <laughs> or uh, I mean, not that I'm going to get into the story, but like I've been divorced. You don't mm-hmm. you don't get everything back. Right. <laughs> so Ben Folds, an, 
black t-shirt could mean a lot of things. <laughs> and for the worst part, it could be in like some storage locker somewhere, not even being used. And you'd be like, really? Exactly. Like, exactly. Like you're not even going to use that. You're just going to like, let it, let it gather dust. And yeah. If you're not going to listen to my copy of pornography by the cure, could I just have it back? <laughs> exactly. And I did want to, I want to group in one before we left. It was, a, it follows up one of the guilty pleasures that we had before we were talking about, um, we were talking about stuntable pilots and, um, and we were talking about different lyricists who couldn't quite get their story across in lyric form, but we still couldn't put it down. And that, that song would be Pearl Jam, Led, Yellow Lead Better. Ooh, um, that, doesn't, where, that doesn't even have lyrics so much as it just has mumbling. Yeah, I, I still I, I put it as like a little, you know, like kind of remembrance back on the song, even though I have no idea what the song is about or can understand any of the lyrics. I know all of the utterings like the back of my hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that guitar <laughs> riff, you could like, yeah. you could like, whoop, whoop, like the whole right. all the solo yeah. parts. And, uh, you know, because 91X played the crap out of the song. Like, wait, say, say it. Right. 91X. <laughs> 91X. <laughs> I mean, they played the crap out of the song over and over and over. It was a, it's still a fan favorite, and um, and I don't know. It's just, it's one of those songs that, you know, love or hate them. I don't know. Like you, you could put that song on. I think it's still a, a jam. You know, you just have it on until oh, yeah. evening. It's, it's totally apropos. <laughs> so, I had to put that as a very impactful song. Well, my my list rounds out with uh, uh, this. I don't know if this would be a controversial selection. It might be. I don't know. So my list rounds out with what I would consider probably top five out of this band's body of work. And so if you if you put yourself in the idea that you're at a show, we want to end with something epic you know send everybody home on like this big moment uh my list actually rounds out with uh, a little ditty by a, a band out of san francisco originally you know, uh, southern california but they moved so my list a little ditty about jack and diane exactly uh living in the heartland yeah um my list ends with the outlaw torn by metallica mm. now uh here's there's gonna be some hot takes flying here for about the next minute i will be okay first of all nate knows my wife i love metallica right i i love metallica always have Mm -hmm. Uh, i discovered metallica i mean seventh eighth grade you know i read for whom the bell tolls had the woodstock 94 live album of which they're on that's kind of, it was my, my entry point into Metallica. I remember being 10 when the Black Album came out, seeing the Inner Sandman video, and being like, the hell is this? Um, I always really liked Nothing Else Matters. But it wasn't until, like, eighth grade, freshman year in high school, that I really got more into them. I'd gotten the Justice album, and this is when Load was coming out, and they hadn't put out an album since the Black Album. They'd cut their hair, and everybody was freaking out. and I listened to Load and I didn't hate it. And I know a lot of people do. A lot of people hate Load and a lot of people hate Reload even more. And, you know, my hot take, I think, for this is I don't particularly care for the Black Album. 
uh, I'll go out on such a limb and say that I think two thirds mm. of the black album is crap. <laughs> not because it's the most popular album. No, it's not because of that. Sonically, the black album is perfect. It is mixed. Fantastic. It is, it is candy for your ears, you know, remixed, remastered with a good set of headphones. Everything on that album sounds perfect. But again, most of it's crap. Uh, Don't tread on me is stupid. Um, of Wolf and Man has got to be one of the worst songs I have ever heard. At least one of the worst songs I've, I, I know that James Hetfield wrote, in my opinion. So of Wolf and Man through the never. Just, I don't care for it at all. So, yeah, there's a hot take for me. Not a huge fan of the Black Album. I could probably go the rest of my life without hearing Enter Sandman ever again. Uh, I will give it all up for The Unforgiven. That song is a masterpiece. The guitar solo in that song is one of my favorites from Kirk Hammett. Sad But True is one of the best riffs you'll ever hear. But back to why I'm wrapping it up with this song. I think what happened with Load and Reload is yeah the song slowed down tempo wise and i don't think people like that and they got a little more i guess bluesy with the riffs a lot of people don't like that but what i think there was this really big shift and i think as a lyricist and a writer with load and reload hetfield actually got better Hmm. um if you listen to load and, and peel back you know the obvious like hate and you get past the fact that low doesn't sound like a black album or it doesn't you know low doesn't sound like master of puppets it doesn't sound like ride the lightning lyrically it's some of headfield's best work in my opinion and the outlaw torn really sends that point home and it's a long song it's it's nine and a half minutes again and having i got I've seen Metallica twice. Uh, once was on a regular tour. And then the second time I saw them, I was fortunate enough to see them do the uh, S&M 2 show up in San Francisco. Me and me and the missus went to that three years ago. And hearing the Outlaw Torn live with the symphony made me appreciate the song even more. I, I love this song so much. I mean, when when Michelle and I were getting married and we were doing the whole we're going to write our own vows thing. Um, I was sitting there like, how do I incorporate the chorus of this song into my wedding vows and not make it look obvious? <laughs> because it's it's not what you would typically think from a Metallica song. Hmm. And it's everything I, I love everything about this song. Like the beginning is like wow, wow, like it builds, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's got this big riff that comes in and it's got the big chorus and the solo in this song one of my favorites uh it's if i had to pick a favorite like metallica solo it is between probably this and the unforgiven hmm. so i don't think load and reload get enough love from both hardcore metallica fans to your your average metallica fan because there's some really good stuff if you if you peel back your your bias towards the fact that the songs aren't super metal, mm-hmm. I think Hetfield did some of his best writing on those two albums, especially with the Outlaw Torn. So that is my my controversial impact, hot take ridden. You know, we're gonna we're sending everybody home, and this is what we're going out on track. <laughs> nice. 
That is a that is a impactful track. I can't I can place it very loosely in my brain because I got it I got load for um my high school years, as you probably remember. Yep. And um I mean like that that whole album is filled with different sounding songs all the way through. I mean, just like a lot of the bands that we've we've mentioned here today. <clears throat> so I don't know, like the uh I guess because maybe it's like the last track is why it like kinda doesn't hit me as hard. I don't I don't remember it as much. But I do remember having that kind of like loose kind of like figuring out where the song is gonna go kind of feel, which is mm-hmm. interesting for a band like that coming off from the black album because all those songs were so deliberate. Like they knew exactly where the song was going to go in on the black album. I felt. And, oh yeah. No, everything on the black album is just so tight. Right. So with this being a little bit more like kind of looser and, and figuring out like how they wanted to end it. That's sort of an interesting take on, you know, what should be like the last track, especially. Yeah. Cause it gets jammy at the end. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's that an excellent, that's an excellent impactful <laughs> track there, sir. That is a very good track. <laughs> See everybody that may listen to this that likes Metallica going like wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong. <laughs> it's all about fuel gonna be fire. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Load <laughs> sucks. Black album forever. Well, we they can sold keep, out. We can keep going for years. I feel my friend, but. <laughs> I've I've got like maybe four others I didn't even talk about, and here I am. I gotta like go uh, catch a catch a train to Detroit. <laughs> maybe not yeah, like a, maybe not a literal train, but yeah. Here, the 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 difference in the difference the difference in in lives is Nate's gonna go run off and go to Detroit, and I've got to go prepare for an eleven year old's birthday. <laughs> the good times about being forty, my friend. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Never know what it's gonna take you. <laughs> no. no it's like the outlaw tour man it's like where's it gonna go <laughs> oh man it's been a blast i i could uh i definitely want to make this like a, a deeper series if we could you know just come up with different kind of um ideas for for track listings so if you ever wanted to have like a mixtape made by one of us i mean we could go on and on for different different themes and different whatever's uh you know in the future if you need if you need a 90s mixtape full of sad songs you're listening to the right show. <laughs> Excellent. Because I could make you one. <laughs> you probably will make you one too. <laughs> for like a nominal, <laughs> oh, yeah. Nominal fee. Yeah. Well, I might even do it for free. <laughs> I got Apple Music. I could just share it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, do you say that it's a call it a show over there, bud? Yeah. No. Uh, let me. Well, Did you have any others that you wanted to squeeze in there? No. I I, I had a couple, but I mean, I I. Had, I knew I had to go out on the Outlaw Torn because that song's too big to... I couldn't think of anything that... Like, if you were playing that live, which I saw them play it live, and that's kind of... They played a song after it, but to me, like, mm-hmm. if, if it was a live show, like, you'd want to end on that. Yeah. All it's right. funny because, actually, I I guess I will squeeze in if, if you're all right. Like, I have two sure. final, final tracks. They're, they're two tracks that end up like on on the end of uh, a couple of iconic albums in the 90s that um one of them is live with their uh, white discussion song ending up throwing copper which is a, a powerful album i 
I know live gets kind of a bad rap because the guy is so super dramatic. Ed Kowalczyk is like kind of a, is, a, is an interesting dude. He kind of reminds me a lot of people in Moby. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. He kind of has like this, uh, again, it's like a poetic thing where like if you're not into it completely in the 90s, it, it's easy to write him off. But um, but honestly, like I, I love every track that, is on that album even the one that was talking about a placenta falling on the floor <laughs> oh. because lightning crashes is kind of a uh, i don't know uh, they get they get they get dramatic and they get very like rem losing my religion at times like very kind of uh you know kind of operatic at, at, at in at times but the the band is tight and the sound is just, it's one of those headphone albums to me that just, if you listen to it, you know, and just allow it to be, it's one of those interesting albums, you know, that I've listened to. But, um, and then the other final track on a, a notable album is actually out of, uh, it was actually from Courtney Love and Hole. Um, and I, it was, I, I picked Olympia to talk about because me and my friend, uh, my friend Justin, <laughs> we used to, uh, just for fun back in the days, like when we had nothing else to do because we were, we were broke, we were kids, we had, you know, we were tired of rollerblading around town <laughs> we were was just tired of like the typical, you know, thing to do. We would just have the house to ourselves. So we would blast the song over and over again and like run outside for some reason like look how loud we can make the stereo we can we can open up the door and listen to it outside like it's so crazy and you know it's one of those fun little joyous kid moments where you just like you sit there i think we did the same thing with um, the crow soundtrack where we just you know you would you had the house to yourself we would rock out and just like play video games or whatever i mean it was one of those those joyous times about being a kid that was kind of impactful for me about just having the having the time to yourself and kind of just allowing music to kind of guide your your little kid ears but the courtney love i mean i don't know take her or leave her i mean she's wife of kurt cobain at the time a lot of lot of in uh con- conspiracy talk about her and what happened to her and Kurt, but um, I don't have a clue. I mean, they raised a model daughter, <laughs> literally. I, I mean, yeah, no, that kid, that kid's actually managed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and she's like, so super connected with like herself and like not becoming her parents. And it's a really interesting, cool um, way of, of finding out that that happens is like kind of li- living long enough to see exactly what she's up to. And, um, I don't know. Courtney is a, a lightning rod of, of discussion, but it's like the whole, the, the whole, whole, uh, discography <laughs> is kind of an interesting one. I mean, she's such a powerful, uh, singer, you know, front woman, whatever, like that. I really kind of respected to a certain degree, you know, but even though there was like a lot of cattiness back in the day between whether or not people liked Courtney Love for whatever reason, um, who cares? I'm like, <laughs> like I don't know. Like Nerf Herder made a song about Courtney Love and about the cow. You know, they. Yeah, 
I don't know. Like she became the butt of a joke basically. And everybody was kind of like, who is this, you know, drug addled stripper turned rock, you know, God or whatever. But I, I don't know. Like it was, it's a tale, you know, exactly like Marilyn Manson where it's like, you know, you either become so interesting and so taboo and weird that you either become really cool or you become that, that sicko that nobody wants to talk about, you know, and like, it's a fine, it's fine line, you know. If I, if I can borrow a line, I think what you're trying to say is you either live long enough to die a hero or no, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very polarizing thing to become like that, that, that drunk on stage who's known as being like, uh, uh, you know, the leader of the doors or are you like an impactful person that influences other bands to become you know more creative it's it's a very like it's it's hard to say but you kind of need those people you know out in front who was the it was the brian jones jonestown massacre brian jonestown massacre that whole deal like i mean you could be that guy and be a, a total jerk and just be you know like who you know could you be that guy or be the leader of who am i thinking of the other band that was the dandy warhols yeah, the Dandy Warhols. Do you like become that way and go Courtney Taylor Taylor? Right. But I mean, how many people are thinking about that guy right now, you know, versus the other guy that would like cause so much chaos? You know what I mean? Like who 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 the documentary kind of started for, you know? Right. So it it was like one of those things that we kind of found out as you go along living through the nineties or living through really any era is like whether or not your heroes are gonna be like absolute, you know, gems or if they're gonna be worst thing ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah one of them did yeah (laughs) but i don't know we'll uh we'll save for future talk because i I think we could go on forever our voices are pretty shot but at least mine (laughs) is getting that way yeah but we've been on the boys in the 90s and we thank you for listening to us we'll have plenty of other future shows and we still have to talk about the rest of the 90s food and movies coming out every year video games yeah we want to continue talking about um i really want to talk about like the music of the 90s sometime like or i'm I'm sorry music music of just 1990 at some some time just to like kind of head head that off the same way we did uh, with the movies because they're speaking speaking of jesus jones (laughs) yeah yeah it'll be coming up in future i'm I'm sure episodes (laughs) so for all you jesus jones (laughs) out there yes who are, who are jonesing for more <laughs> for more yeah more of your uh jesus you got a jones you got a jones for the jones <laughs> then you'll be in luck um exactly but yeah man um i'm i've i've been nate i'm bob we are the boys in the 90s and if you want to uh to write us at all we'll probably put our our information down in the show notes yep all the the twitters the gmail the instagram and the facebook are all in the show notes so if you open it on your podcast player you'll be able to find where we are yeah thank you for being one of our followers if you are a follower and um to all the friends and and everybody that listened to the podcast we appreciate you (laughs) and all the family that downloads it yeah all right so we've been the boys in the 90s thanks for listening wish there was something real in this world full of you